Uh, so I've been doing a series called Christmas Carols where we're thinking about some important uh, Christmas songs. And I found a, a list that says it's the 100 best Christmas songs uh, by the Washington Post. And I have invited Sonia to come up because Sonia is our resident uh, Christmas expert. Uh, she has a, a doctorate in uh, Christmas sciences from Santa Claus University. And she, she is the expert... What, what, time, what time of year do you start listening to Christmas music, Sonia? Well, I listen to it year-round. One of those people. At, <laughs> at midnight on October 31st, November 1st, I switch over to Christmas music. I have driven home from Halloween parties at like 2 a.m. still in my Halloween costume listening to Christmas music. So that, that's, that's the kind of expertise that we need in this in this. Uh, I, and I asked her to come up with her own list of the five best Christmas songs, and we'll compare it to the Washington Post list. Uh, and I'm going to be interested to see if there's even some, some common ones, because there's so many. And it doesn't include Christmas hymns, because those are also, like, really awesome as well. But what would you say is, is your number five song? Y'all, this was so hard. <laughs> I, I made it harder, I know. I've got a list of, like, 50. Um, I toyed with this one a little bit, because I kind of, I'm going to cheat a little bit, because I've got one song in particular that I just like one version of it, and it's the We Wish You a Merry Christmas, but the Muppets version, where Animal keeps going, <laughs> like that, you gotta have that in your top five. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I have them all in a particular order, but... Just release them um, as you want, yeah, we'll see. So num number five on the Washington Post list versus oh, your five, number um, five on the Washington Post list was Dominic the Donkey. That's... That's on my list. I love Dominic the Donkey. I was a little surprised. That I know. I got some... Uh, so, okay, that's on your list too. Dominic the Donkey is one of my favorites. Okay, so is that number four, I guess? I would say that would be number... I, uh, I'd say they, those two would be tied for number five because they're my okay. goofy ones. Okay, tied number five. Um, four, five. Number four on this list was Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Yes. Is that one, that one too? Is yes. on the list? Okay. Um, I feel like we're not cheating, I swear. So is that number three then? I guess, because you had two tied at five, which counts five. as four. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Okay. So then my three. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Three. My three is um, the Christmas waltz. I don't... Sing it. Um, just, it's got the, and this song of mine in three-quarter time. All right, so, so some people appreciate that one, yeah. Um, Number three on this list, which I, I have a lot of questions about this one, but it's Underneath the Tree by Kelly Clarkson. That's a cute one. It, it's a good one, it's but cute. it's kind of like of the moment. I don't know. I felt like it was a little, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's good, but is it top five worthy? Uh, I yeah. don't know about that. Number for, two for you? For, for number two for me would be uh, The Christmas Song, Nat King Cole. Mm. Yeah, you can't, can't <clears throat> beat that. Number two on this list is uh, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's it's, a good, it's quality. It's, fine. it's, it's quality. fun. And drum roll, please, uh, from somebody. You're number one. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Most wonderful time of the year. Number one on the Washington Post list was Good King Wenceslas. Oh. So whose list was better, Washington Post or Sonia's? Clap for Sonia. Yeah, Sonia's much better. See, this is why this is why she has that degree. So thank you, thank you, Sonia. I know I put you in, a, in an impossible spot to try and, and figure uh, that out. And, and it, it is hard because there is, there's so much great music this, this season and not just popular music. Some of those that you're going to be here on the radio, but um, hymns and all of these things that, that are around us 
all the time. And I think it's interesting to think about that because there's no other time of year that's like this, where there's just you know, hundreds of songs where you just, you're excited to listen to them. You haven't listened to them uh, in, a, in a long time. In our house, we love the InSync Christmas album, uh, mostly influenced by Mandy. But there's just certain songs that you're, you're so pumped, like I can't wait to listen uh, to that album again or that song again. And there's just no other time of year like this. And I think it's because there's something in, in our hearts that, that we are longing for something. We're longing for things to be a little bit different, perhaps better uh, than they are for whatever reason. And this morning, I want to talk about uh, perhaps my favorite Christmas hymn, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which helps us to remember that that we need the coming of Christ. We needed it 2,000 years ago, and one day we're going to need it again. We're going to need God to come back and make things Right, because no matter how perfect your, your Christmas is, if, if it's full of family or if you're alone, when all the gifts are open and you're sitting around, there's going to be something. That I, I, I had a lot of fun this year, but I'm longing for something else. Because I think that's in all of our hearts. And something that we get a chance to recognize and, and participate in uh, during this year, one thing I love doing as, as a church is remembering the coming of Christ together. Because it matters how you come. It, it matters how you participate. It matters how you enter in because God could have come in any way possible. And his coming tells us a lot about his purposes. In 1985, Prince Charles and Princess Diana came to the United States for four days. And for their four-day trip, they brought 7,000 pounds of luggage. Because for every event, they wanted to have options, just in case. Like, I want to be able to wear this or that. And so it would have probably cost $10,000 in bag fees in what is current day. And so they brought 7,000 pounds of luggage for four days of travel. A few years ago, Manny and I were blessed to be able to travel to Europe. Here's a picture of us um, going uh, on that trip, or it should be there, right? Is it? It's not on there. Oh, I thought I, I, thought I put that up there. I guess I, guess I didn't, but there, it's a cute picture of us with just our, our bags on, and uh, that is how we traveled uh, to Europe. And in the picture, you see me wearing a pair of jeans. That is the only pair of pants I brought for the trip, and I... Thank you. Thank you. And basically, the strategy is you uh, travel around until they basically are just like standing up on their own. And I had a pair of shorts that we could like take so I, I could take the jeans to get them washed and then it was all ready to go. And so I had one pair of jeans for this entire two and a half uh, week trip. So our journey was very different. Nobody was excited that I was arriving in Europe. There weren't camera crews hovering it. They were like, hey, Brian Shackman's about to hit down in London. Like, we're all getting excited. They were for Mandy, but I mean, come on, whatever. Like, they were like, Mandy Shackman is on the way. No, for us, we weren't meeting with dignitaries. There weren't important events. If something happened over there that was important, we wouldn't have been asked to go to something. Like, it's just how you travel shows something about you. And Christ came into the world in a very specific way. Through humble means, in ways that you wouldn't expect. You would expect the king of the world, whose kingdom will never end, to travel like Princess Diana, right? 
You would expect that somebody like that with all of this importance and significance would come with all the pomp and the circumstance, but that's not how Christ comes into the world. And I think that gives us incredible hope. Because all of us, as we think about the things in our lives that that are hard or or difficult, as we come into the Christmas season, it's easy for us at times to think about what, what we're struggling with or the anxieties that we have. But the way that Christ comes into the world, I think, gives us great hope and inspiration. Because Christ doesn't come to perfect people who have it all together. Christ comes to humble, broken people in difficult circumstances. I think of the Apostle Paul, who does so much for the mission of the gospel around the world. And as he is telling a church in Corinth about this ministry and how difficult it was, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, who in the like membership class is signing up for that? Who's excited about, wow, like where do I participate in that stuff? Like, how could I get like a list of that kind of stuff? It's unbelievable. Like, here's all the stuff that I've endured because of my calling to preach the gospel all over the world to everybody that I can possibly Imagine, so I'm willing to endure this stuff because of the great hope that I have. Because I believe so firmly in what Jesus did, what God has done. So I face this kind of stuff because I know that God's with me in these moments. Another time Paul is, is writing uh, to a church, he's writing about some of these things that we're going to face that are hard and difficult for us to endure. And he has the, the great phase, therefore I don't lose heart. Therefore, I don't lose heart. Because it's a struggle at times. It's hard, but I don't lose heart. Because God is with people, is with us in difficult circumstances. And that is the story of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 tells us this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. As Mary receives this news that she is going to be carrying the the Savior of the world, it's likely that she would have been around 13 years old. She's engaged to be married, and this creates a little bit of an awkward conversation that Joseph is going to need an angel to help clarify a little bit. 
She's from a nowhere town. The disciples early on, as they're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, they say, what good can possibly come from Nazareth? And this is like a town outside Fresno. Like, what good? I don't want to offend anybody, but (laughs) what good? I'm not going to, it's not even Fresno, though. It's outside of Fresno. What good can possibly, and you can insert the name of whatever town you've been through that it's like, man, what, what is going on here? But what good can possibly come? This is a nowhere town. And I know when, when anyone has a child, you feel woefully unprepared and you know how expensive it's going to be. But Mary, I mean, she has just no money uh, to her name. She's a woman in that society. Women in that society uh, were not of highly value until you got married. You had like almost no voice. But God comes to Mary and says, I choose you. You, even though you aren't the most significant or, or important as far as the society would view you, but in your weakness, there is unbelievable strength. And I'm going to bring Savior of the world through you. I love how Philip Yancey says this. He says, an unwed mother homeless, was forced to look for shelter while traveling to meet the heavy taxation demands of a colonial government. She lived in a land recovering from violent civil wars that was still in turmoil, yet God chooses her. Then, as a baby who could not eat solid food, God depended on a teenager for shelter, food, and love. This is the story of Christmas, that God comes to a a young woman, and probably she feels overwhelmed. As she receives this news, she has more questions than answers. How is this going to happen? What does this mean? Why do you choose me? And it's obvious, it's palpable that she's having those experiences because the angel says to her, do not be afraid, which is the number one command in scripture that is said over and over again. They say that it happens 365 times because we need one every single day of the year, although this was before this, was, this calendar was such a thing, so I don't really think you can say that. But over and over again, this is the message of Scripture. Do not be afraid because she has more questions than answers. How is this going to happen? What does this mean? Like, what, what on earth is going on here? And then you think about the anxiety that would have continued as, as baby boys are getting killed around her. How, how, how is this going to happen? What does this mean? What does it look like? I think this story reminds us of, of something that, that I've learned in ministry, that I, at times, have no idea what I'm doing. There are times when I've said to my wife, I just, I really don't feel like I have a whole lot to offer this morning. And every time that, that I say that, if I feel like I don't really have, the message hasn't come, sometimes the message comes together a little more clearly and it's a little easier and it just works out, but sometimes it's a bit more of a grind. And I've told her at times, I don't know, this one just didn't really seem to come together. Every single time that I say that to her, someone comes up to me and says, that changed my life. So I really am starting to think I should just think my sermons are terrible more often, and then just, when, when I think they're bad, just, just go with it. And I think that that's something that, that we all know. We, we don't really know when God is going to use us. 
And it's at those times when we feel weak or when we feel insignificant or when we think we don't have all the answers that God's like, all right, here you go. God doesn't need your ability. God needs your availability. God needs you to continue uh, to show up and do the kinds of things that Mary would have done as she prepared for this moment, like completely unprepared. In bewilderment, and there's a lot of joy to this moment, but there's also a lot of responsibility and a lot of questions for a, a woman who, again, was a likely 13 years old. This is the story of Christmas, that God comes to people who don't have all the answers, that God uses people who sometimes are hoping for something more. And this is how the king of the world travels. I love how the Christian church has celebrated Christmas for thousands of years. It's a season called Advent, which very simply means waiting. It is us waiting together. And we are a people who, I think I could say about all of us, we don't like waiting. We don't like those moments when we're waiting on something or someone. Our world has just gotten faster and faster and faster. When email was like coming out as a, an invention, the prediction was that everyone would be able to work a 10-hour work week because you'd just be so efficient. I know, it's, we're still waiting on that dream to come true. But the thought was, oh, it'll just be so efficient that we're just going to be able to work, just do so much more work and get all of this done. And the world's just gotten faster and faster and faster. And sometimes when you send an email and you're waiting over 30 minutes for a response, you're just kind of waiting. It's hard for us to experience. But I think the church has celebrated for thousands of years the good news of waiting. The fact that we all collectively are waiting. There are things that haven't happened yet at this Christmas that you're hoping for, your heart longs for. And unfortunately, as the church has celebrated this, this season of waiting, I feel like American Christmas is just for happy people. It's for happy people who need just like one more thing. There's a commercial that I saw. It's like the new commercial of someone getting a truck for Christmas, which is like a common theme every year. But it's a, a husband and wife, and apparently they're, they're out in like a snowy field, and uh, the uh, little puppy comes running in, and the wife goes down and grabs it, and she's like, oh, thank you so much, sweetie. And she's like loving on her puppy. And then she's like, but wait, there's more. And then he, his huge truck comes rolling through uh, the snow, and then he's like, yeah. And he goes and runs and hugs it. And I've just never had a Christmas like that. I've never had an experience where I'm in like a snowy field, and like I get my wife the perfect thing, and then she gets me. It's like I've never seen that happen before. But I feel like that's the story of American Christmas, that if you're just wealthy enough maybe one day to buy a truck for someone, then you're going to be so happy. That's not what the Christmas message is. It's that we need Christ's coming, and we were waiting on it together. Because a new truck 
isn't going to fix yours or my problems. It might fix some transportation issues, but it's not going to fix your problems. We need the coming of Christ. We require waiting on it. And it's sometimes even in these periods of waiting or, or times that have been real struggles for you or for me that you actually do experience the presence of God. I think of the story of Joseph, which is found in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And in Joseph's story, he gets sold into slavery. And then because of jealousy of a technical or dream coat, which you guys know about from the musical, but he ends up in this really weird pattern. He ends up doing this unbelievable thing where he restores uh, the nation. of It's an unbelievable thing that ends up happening. But what's weird is the refrain that you read through Joseph's life. So in the book of Genesis, there's lines like this that are so interesting to us. So he's sold into slavery, but the Lord was with Joseph. He's working hard for his master as he's in slavery, making his master rich, and the Lord was with Joseph. He's falsely accused, and the Lord was with Joseph. He's unjustly in prison, and the Lord was with Joseph. And it's like we look at that and think, that doesn't make any sense. Falsely imprisoned? If the Lord was with me, I'd be out of this situation, right? Like, if, if the Lord is with me, then I wouldn't have this false accusation against me. But this very interesting, it just kind of comes as this drumbeat to the life of Joseph, which honestly for a lot of it is just this like downward spiral where he's experiencing some really hard stuff. But over and over again, the scripture says, but the Lord was with him even there. As he finds himself waiting in prison, the Lord was there. As he's sold into slavery, the Lord is there. I think about my life, how there's things that if I was to think about in, in the rearview mirror that I'm very thankful for, that I learned some things from them, I wouldn't wish them to anybody. But I can see God's work and God's presence in those times. And I'm thankful for some of the stuff that I learned in those times. Because God isn't just for happy people when things are going all right. God is for waiting people. People who find themselves victims of hard situations. People who find themselves sometimes because of their own actions distant. But God was with Joseph and with Mary and with you and me. So I hope that during the Christmas season you spend some time reflecting on that. I also, among all the great Christmas songs, love the song, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, especially uh, for the chorus. The chorus is a banger, as the kids would call it. Um, it's, it's a great one. But it starts, and it, again, I really do like the song, but it starts like, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Like, it's just like, all you perfect people, you know, oh, are you like joyful and triumphant and like perfectly faithful? Then yeah, let's, let's come. Come on, let's figure this out. It feels a little like the start of Mary Tyler Moore, like you're going to make it after all. Like, 
I know you're like, how do you, how do you know about that? I had Nick and Knight as a kid, so I saw, I saw that. Um, but, I mean, it's just interesting. Like, this, this sort of, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And it really is a, a great song and has some, some great things uh, for us to think about. But I saw uh, a, a kind of new interpretation of this song that I wanted to share with you. It's called, O Come All Ye Unfaithful. And I wanted you to listen to this as we reflect for a minute together on coming into the Christmas season. Oh, God. 
when it's the holiday season, though there are things that bring us joy, there's also things that, that are hard. You're gathered around table, hopefully with friends and, and with family, which you realize aren't perfect, but that's partly because you're there too. But it's in these moments sometimes when we feel weak that we need to remember that this is the message of Christmas. Come, all you unfaithful, those who, who are waiting. We're waiting for something more. There was a woman named Sue Kim who wrote a book about her experience learning uh, contemplative prayer. And if you struggle with prayer, know that you're not alone. Prayer is hard. And she was writing about this experience of what it was like as she was trying to learn from this monk to pray. And she said this about this experience. I told my monk companion, I just can't get used to the idea of doing nothing. He broke into a wonderful grin and said, well, there's the problem right there. You've bought into the myth that when you're waiting, you're doing nothing. Then he took his hands and placed them on my shoulders. Look straight into my eyes. I hope you'll hear what I'm about to tell you. I hope you'll hear it all the way down to your toes. When you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is. You're allowing your soul to grow up. And if you can't be still and wait, you can't become the person God created you to be. Peace is granted by God's presence as we wait. So whatever it is, that you find yourself waiting on this year, know that you're not alone. And in the ways that you feel vulnerable or, or sad or going through difficulty during this season, know that you aren't alone. And just as this first Christmas was about God bringing this unbelievable new world through a 13-year-old girl, who didn't have much. And God was active, even as Joseph found himself in prison and in difficulty. May you recognize the simple truth that God is with us. God is with us even as we wait. So let's stand and worship together. We'll be singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I hope that we as a community recognize and think about all the ways that we as a community are waiting on God. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the Christmas story, which helps us to remember that you come to all of us. That you're with all of us. Sometimes in those moments when we feel overwhelmed, may we remember that you come to the unfaithful and invite all of us around your table. Father, we are thankful for the story of Christmas, which is, is so shocking as you really think about it, but it's so beautiful because it reminds us of your great love for all of us. May we remember that during this season. May we wait and become the people that you've called us to be. 
In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.